Hey guys, it's Michael with CatholicExchange.com. Thanks for joining us. This is a second edition in a small series we're doing, exploring the life of art, creativity, and the Catholic faith. Doing this as a way to encourage young or old listeners who are joining us to maybe explore their creativity. And to that end, today I'm happy to welcome author Bill Patnode, whose debut novel, A Printer's Choice, was recently released, has a fantastic review on Publishers Weekly, is getting reviews also in the religious press as well as the secular press, and it explores a Catholic priest in the year 2088 as well as the moral implications of artificial intelligence. Being a sci-fi fan, I thought this would be a great choice. That's starting pretty soon, especially around February. We'll return to book interviews, especially to help you get ready for Lent, but I want to offer this series... If you like this, editor at CatholicExchange.com, let me know. And we'll try to bring more artists, more creative people. Check out last week's episode with Mr. Schmaltz, the great Catholic sculptor. And if you have any other ideas, feel free to hit me up, editor at CatholicExchange.com. But with that, let's go ahead and go back to our regular show. And join us next week, hit the subscribe button and find us at CatholicExchange.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, welcome to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. This is your editor and host, Michael Litchens, here talking today with an author, a novelist. He's written about ecology and, well, really quite a few interesting subjects. I'm talking today with W.L. Patnone. He is here today to talk with us about the writing process, but we'll also be talking about his latest novel, A Printer's Choice. So, Bill, welcome to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Thank you. It's great to have you. So, uh, to start off, I wanted to ask, your latest, I'm sorry, not even your latest, it's your debut novel, A Printer's Choice, is kind of a, would you describe it as a murder mystery sci-fi? Yeah, it is a multi-genre novel. So it's a science fiction novel, it's a murder mystery, and it uh, really incorporates a lot of the, the non-fiction work that I've been writing on since uh, the early 2000s. So it's a, it's a nice mix, and uh, so it should have a little something for, for everyone. Excellent. So what attracted you to want to write this kind of sci-fi-based multi-genre novel? Well, as you mentioned, I've been writing on, the, on uh, a number of Catholic topics. I started not long after I returned to the church back in 1999. In the mid-2000s, I was asked to write for the local diocesan newspaper on the Catholic perspective of environmental protection from an Orthodox Catholic perspective. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'd been doing that for a while. And uh, that really took off, of course, is... Um, uh, Pope Benedict and uh, Pope Francis have uh, started writing about that topic as well. However, the the um, the conversation always seemed to be a bit insular. It was like a bit of a cottage industry between ecclesial groups and academic groups and environmental groups. So I asked myself, well, how do you discuss these important uh, topics about um, what what really what 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 the church has to offer to the world about some of these important topics, and how do you offer them to a general audience? So you know, when you ask that question, I know the immediate answer that you think of, Michael, is, well, you write a science fiction murder mystery. I mean, that's what everyone <laughs> would do, right? Uh, yeah, generally. So that's what I did. Uh, I was, uh, I wanted to sort of branch out of the nonfiction uh, bubble, as it were. And um, science fiction had always been something that I was interested in, especially as a young man. Um, and I actually attribute science fiction in many ways to the reason why I left the church in the first place. Um, so I really kind of wanted to uh, help baptize it in a way. Um, and uh, murder mysteries uh, were something that I know were popular and something that I've always enjoyed reading. So I decided to uh, really uh, spin the two together so that I could have a fun vehicle 
and an interesting vehicle to talk about some of the uh, major important uh, topics of our age and especially what the church has to offer offer them. How has your nonfiction writing prepared you to start writing a Catholic novel, in particular about your, you've written quite a bit on ecology and also theology. How did those two come into wanting to turn that into science fiction? Well, if you're going to uh, write anything of any meaning, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, you have to know what you're talking about. True. And you have to sort of, you know, play in the arena, as it were. So um, having a degree in engineering and uh, working in the environmental protection field, uh, as I do, and then having a master's in theology, which I added uh, after my return to the church, um, uh, all, of the, all of those studies, all of that, those those experiences and all the writing around those as well uh, created for me um, a, a universe of of fact really that I could then draw from so that when the characters are talking in a in, in the in the fiction world they're saying something that resonates with readers today so it's not just space opera and fantastical uh, events occurring in the orbits or in, in, on Earth or whatever, um, but they're rooted in some basic fundamental human realities and, in fact, in divine revelation. So you add all of that together and it makes the fun science fiction space opera element having it, it roots it into something meaningful, something human and something divine at the same time. I see. And so to go back to the process of writing the novel, when you took that first step and said, okay, this is what I want to do, I think I want to write a novel. How did you even begin to approach the writing? Well, I think as a big part of it is uh, you you start writing as being a reader, mm -hmm. and um, I had I had actually I went back to 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 read fiction, uh, which I hadn't done in quite a while because you know when you're when you're working on your mm -hmm. master's degree or you're you're working on these important topics, you read a lot of nonfiction. So I went back and I started reading some of the science fiction that I read as a young man, uh, some of the fantasy like Lord of the Rings, and I went, I used those vehicles to sort of teach me, as it were, what does a good novel uh, need? What, how does, how do characters speak? And, and, and so I'm, I'm looking at those texts, I'm reading those texts, not just as a consumer of fiction or someone who wants to hear a good story, but for the first time really as a writer like trying to dissect what did the author just do here? What are they saying? How does it work? And then, um, then the next step was, uh, you know, booting up my computer and booting up uh, Word and writing the first sentence. That's amazing. Did you find yourself uh, drawn to any books on, on writing? So I'm thinking of Stephen King's on writing where he basically says your advice of start picking up fiction. Or did you just begin typing and see how it went from there? I did a little bit of both. It was sort of a, a, parallel, a parallel process. Uh, as I was writing, I read uh, as much as I could about the process from other writers, from blogs, etc. Um, certainly, um, uh, but I, 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 and as Stephen King, the, the advice that you get from him and so many other writers is you, you need to read, you need to experience the written word in the fictional setting to really see what what works and and that's that's an that's something that never ends mm -hmm. i know I've, I've spoken with some authors and some writers that would say they they prefer not to do that because they don't want their they don't want to be influenced they don't want to write in a style of of someone else and i think that if you're uh if you're true to yourself that won't happen you learn from the crafts of others but 
you do need to have a voice. And I guess that kind of links back to the question that you asked earlier, like, you know, um, and, and about having something to say and having some experience in what you're writing about. I mean, my voice was influenced by my work in the nonfiction world, mm. in the environmental protection and regulatory world, in the world of theology. And, um, and then you can, you use all that, that, that sort of grounds you so mm -hmm. that you're not going to just copy another writer. You'll, you'll be inspired by the way they write or something that they did that was really wonderful. And you'll begin to see that pattern. You might see patterns in, um, amongst writers as diverse as, you know, Steinbeck and Tolkien and uh, science fiction writers like Asimov. You might see something that is a critical component of writing fiction because they all do it. So, um, so it is very important for anyone, for any craft really, to, to watch the master at work and watch people who have really uh, what you want to achieve and they are, they are where you want to be. And they've done that in a certain way. And so um, it is. It is. It is. It is quite valuable to, to that the writing process is equally a reading process as well. And as a Catholic, I would say it's also a prayerful process. I mean, many times I would enter into a chapter or into an area of the story, and I would um, there'd be a fair amount of prayer to writing it because I know that you know when you're writing about so the main character in A Printer's Choice is a, a priest from Boston who was raised as an atheist. And um, so his conversion story, or his just his witness as a priest in the story, may be for some individuals the first time they ever really uh, interacted with a priest, even though it's in a fictional setting. Uh, they're they're mm -hmm. learning from this character. So I really want to get it right, and I'd really want to make sure that those that certain elements in the story, certain chapters, certain sentences, certain themes were uh, done in such a way to bring first glory to God, and second to bring uh, um, to bring individual souls in contact with something that they may not have had. Because many people, you know, whether they were raised or they're not Catholic or they were raised with no faith at all. Um, there is a search that every soul is going for. So if I can provide through a science fiction murder mystery an introduction in into the faith of a believer, into the Catholic faith, then that's something that I just can't stop writing. I need to pray about that and I need to make sure that I'm placing myself uh, in the right disposition at the time. So it's an intellectual process and it's a spiritual uh, process as well. Kind of bringing both the intellectual and spiritual together sounds like you borrow from your own life to write your main character, the father of your book, A Printer's Choice. Our readers should know you left the church at 15, came back. You mentioned that already, got your MA in theology. So how much of yourself did you put into the main character? That's a really, really good question. And I'm probably the worst person to ask about that because <laughs> I, that, assumes that, I, that assumes that I know myself better than I do. Um, so uh, yes. <laughs> I would say that um, the commonalities are Father McClellan, the, the, the protagonist, uh, is mm -hmm. a man who's seeking to make things better. He wants to make the world a better place. He wants to make things right, as he as he often says. Um, and in the beginning, in his early life, he doesn't quite understand what he's up against because he doesn't quite understand the fall and sin and these types of things. Those are, those are concepts that he uh, was never really 
raised with in the in the world that he grew up in. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, so so I, I would say that he and I are kindred spirits there. Where uh, I am not Father McClellan is I was you know he was a he grew up and became a United States Marine. And he became an expert in a technology that does not exist today. And mm-hmm. he entered uh, the uh, the priesthood. So there's a lot about about him that I had to really work with former, uh, excuse me, not former, retired Marines, uh, priests, which I happen to know a lot of. So I was able to draw from a lot of that. Um, so there's a lot about him that is, that is uh, influenced by me. Um, there's a lot of me in some of the various characters, perhaps. Uh, but the goal is not. I'm, I'm basically a pretty boring person, so for the reader's <laughs> sake, I I tried not to make it so much about me and really sure. make the characters uh, as approachable as they could in a broad spectrum uh, to speak to people in various stages of, of development and faith or uh, in in their age or their geographical locations and you know, that the church brings, makes that possible, whether it's the real world church of today, whether it's histor- the historical church, or it's extrapolating about what the, the, the church will be like in 2088. Uh, just give our listeners a little more info. So this novel set in 2088. There's space colonization going on, artificial intelligence, including 3D printers that are artificially intelligent. I'm just curious how much research you had to do on AI to get at this. And can you talk about the Catholic aspect of artificial intelligence and how that factored into your book? Sure, absolutely. Um, so the, the, the book is a vehicle for evangelization and catechism. Mm-hmm. That's the bottom. That was really the bottom line. So, you know, and, and, and to, so to, to portray some of the major issues that we, you know, I, I write about when I write about the Catholic perspective of environmental protection in the nonfiction world, you know, issues like choice, free will, sin, Grace um, and and the the the, the sacraments and the, the grace that pours into the human history um, because of the church those are all um, those are all elements that you'll find in in Apprentice Choice. Now, where I'm speculative is in the um, in the topic of artificial intelligence, and that's a that's wide open. There's a lot of discussion on that right now, um, and there's a lot of um, discussion both within the church and outside of the church, obviously, what that is. What I had to do is make a decision as a storyteller is what what kind of world am I going to create and what what kind of entities are going to be in it mm-hmm. um, so that I can optimize the ability within a science fiction setting to teach about the church and to, and to put characters in a situation where they can expound the, the teachings of the church. Um, but then when you're in the future and you're in a speculative world um you have to take you you do take some liberties of course i don't want to give away too much of the story but the the but the the titular printer in a printer's choice is an artificially 3d printer and those printers are um because they're artificially intelligent that's a you know that's a that's a science fiction theme that you see from 2001 a space odyssey Mm -hmm. from star trek with data um and numerous other aspects so you know what would the church how would the church um how would a priest deal with an artificially intelligent creature or perhaps creature is the wrong word an artificially intelligent entity are they truly intelligent are they truly 
um, conscious? Mm -hmm. Those are some really, really, really big questions. And I would say that um, I'm going to continue having fun with those questions in the sequels. Um, and because it's a, it's a topic that there's no real answer for right now. And, but again, the goal of having characters explore those topics is not so much because I want to explore the topics as I do, I want, as I want to introduce to secular readers or science fiction lovers or to Catholics or anyone, all people of goodwill. I want to introduce the church and the gospels and the teachings of the church and the way uh, the the witness of the characters in this uh, speculative world that we live in. The goal is evangelization and catechesis, not as a as a technical book or or speculation about what will happen in the world of artificial intelligence. So I don't know if that I don't know if that answers your question, but um, <laughs> certainly. But it is a. Uh, in fact, um, a Christian author, uh, writer, engineer just mentioned me in a, his uh, a blog post that he did on uh, can machines ever be conscious and he did and I'll, and I'll send you the link if you want to post that yes please um, because um, it's a great little overview of what the science is saying about artificial intelligence and there's of course mm -hmm. a debate there so uh, you know stay tuned it may be a long long time before we ever have an answer uh, the course. answer may be um, the, the answer may not be what we expect, but for my purposes, it doesn't matter. What matters is I want to tell a story using uh, the genre of science fiction and, and, a, and a theme that runs throughout science fiction, and I want, it, I want to use it not to dismiss faith, but I want to use it to show the beauty of what faith and how faith interacts with human reason. That's a wonderful goal to have. And what part do you think stories can play in evangelization, especially such speculative fictional stories? Well, uh, that's a that's a that's a great question, and I I I would say that again, the reason that I I set off on this and broke away from nonfiction is because I don't think the audience for nonfiction is as big as fiction. Mm -hmm. I mean, what are what are the books that that are put out on the front of a bookstore? It's the it's the murder mysteries and it's the stories and it's the fiction. I mean, humans by our very nature love to tell stories. It's just part of who we are. Uh, Christ used stories, parables, to teach eternal divine truths. We are a storytelling uh, um, creature by our very nature. And so um, stories have to be part of how we, I would argue, stories have to be part of how we reclaim culture, how we baptize a culture that's becoming increasingly godless. Uh, so it's in the story that we can do that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so my strategy, if it was, for lack of a better <laughs> word, my strategy in setting off on this uh, journey in the, fic in the world of fiction was that I, I really didn't want the story to be too preachy. So, which is hard to do when the main character is a priest. Yes. <laughs> but um, I, didn't, I didn't want it to be too Catholic. I didn't want to... Because I knew that there'd be some readers, secular readers, readers of sci-fi, that might um, be turned off by that. And so what I'm trying to do is, in, in sort of the spirit of the new evangelization, is sort of slip behind those, um, those uh, obstacles mm -hmm. that people call walls that people can throw, put up. Now, what was interesting is, so the first, I wrote the first draft, and I'm now working with them at the point where I'm working with an editor. And in the first draft, there was only one homily 
and that was the homily at the funeral mass for mm-hmm. the dead person. Um, and the editor that I worked with is a secular editor. Uh, with He's worked with major publishing houses uh, for many years. And he, one of his, uh, one of his um, comments was that that the, the chapter with the homily, he said the funeral was amazing. He says you need to add another homily somewhere in the story. So I, I'm, I, I pushed back a little. I said, but I don't want it to be too preachy, <laughs> literally, um, because I don't want people to be turned off by that. Some readers might not be interested mm-hmm. in homilies. He said, no, a real reader will. A real reader will understand that you're writing about. A, uh, you're writing a story in which the protagonist is a priest. They're going to expect that, or at least they won't be surprised by it. So what that taught me was that you don't have to shy away from it. You can be honest and truthful about who you are as a person, who I am as a writer, who the character is. So I gladly wrote a second homily, which um, I was really glad to do because there was another point in the book that really cried out for a homily, and that would have been the first public mass in outer space in the in the new world of new athens where men, much of the story takes place so uh i was i was uh delighted and intrigued that the secular editor was the one who made me write the second homily so i was pretty psyched by that and i took that as a, i took that as like one of the best compliments that i could have gotten absolutely no that is a very good compliment especially from an editor because even i as a catholic editor sometimes have to go okay let's cut back on the preaching a little and you know (laughs) um, so i yeah good work on that note when you're trying to take spirituality i'm thinking about some of my favorite sci-fi of course i think anyone who's listening to this who's read any sci-fi probably has checked out a canticle for Leibowitz. And I know atheists, my atheist cousins adore that book. They love the characters and the different priests and monks within. So it seems to me if you have the rich characters, of course, we'll want to hear what they have to say. And that's, I can only imagine that challenge. Well, yeah, you do. I mean, that's the the bottom line of a story is, is the characters mm-hmm. um, before anything else. The characters have to be, have to have qualities about them that interest you. I mean, you know, when you, when people go to a cocktail party, they tend to shy away from the people who don't interest them. Sure. It's just human nature. It's the same thing with, uh, with a novel. So I was very, I was very um, happy with many of the reviews. I mean, the, re- the, the book has gotten really all stellar reviews. It's got a, it got a starred must read review from Publishers Weekly, mm-hmm. um, which is, which was really a high honor. We put that on the front cover. Um, so it's gotten all good reviews, and even in the in the Amazon reviews, uh, people reference the character the McClellan that mm-hmm. that he was a character that they really loved. So I was I was very happy that the main character was was someone that that readers really uh, liked and that he resonated with them. Um, so you do absolutely have to have that, and and then you're right. I mean, once you have that, once you have a, then it's the story. I mean, then you have to have a good story. You have to have a believable world. You have to have a world that has continuity to it. Mm-hmm. That was one of the hard, that was one of the hardest parts of, um, of, of telling a, a science fiction story because, sure. you know, you, you might int- in- introduce technology in chapter three and then you realize that in chapter 20, if that technology existed in chapter three, then it should exist in this chapter. And then it would completely, should completely change the way uh, the story would unfold. So you have to be really consistent and clear about that because readers pick that up. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was pretty tight as well, but once you have all that, then you can introduce 
um, other aspects that a reader may not typically flock to, for instance, the Catholic faith. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what has, uh, that's what I, um, what, what others tell me, at least I've achieved in a printer's choice. Um, so, and that's what I, I will seek to do and continue to do. Uh, in the sequels as well. I was actually going to ask you about the creative process because especially with science fiction, it seems that you have to do so much world building, like you said, to make it believable, something that we as the readers go, oh yeah, I see. But how did you start with the idea of world building, you know, figuring out a setting and all that? Where did that come from and how did you start to flesh that idea out? Great question. In many ways, what I was doing with A Printer's Choice was, was writing an uh, homage to the science fiction I read as a mm -hmm. young man. And I mentioned earlier that the science fiction I read as a young man, mostly by Arthur C. Clarke, Isaac Asimov, um, were these were writers that were not comfortable with mm -hmm. uh, faith. Um, and most science fiction uh, in general, if it's not criticizing faith or portraying it in some Gnostic fashion, it's um, criticizing it or it's ignoring it. You, you know, so as a young man, I, I, was intrigued by science fiction and it was a science fiction that spoke against faith often or or dismissed it so in many ways when i was writing a printer's choice i wanted to sort of baptize the science fiction i was a young man uh so i used concepts that were concepts that um were uh very popular it's like in the 1970s 1980s uh but you still see today in science fiction so new athens the new the, the great new world in, in outer space uh, is a rotating cylindrical 20 kilometer um, long world. Um, what I did was as an engineer, I, I had some fun with solving some of the problems around those worlds that uh, were not in the science fiction that I came up with. Um, so the world building was, was both fun from an engineering perspective, it's necessary as a storyteller, and that's Another piece of uh, a comforting input that I got from the editor where I, I realized, you know, I said the first third of the book, I said, I, I'm explaining so much about this world. He said, well, that's science fiction. You have to do that mm -hmm. because you can't, you, you're building a new world. And it's not just a new physical world. You're building a new culture. You're, you're, you're you know, almost 70 years in the future. There's been a lot that's happened on Earth. So there's a lot to explain. And... Uh, the goal is that by the time you're midway through the book and the and the plot is really racing, you don't have to stop and explain anything. You can just people take for granted they know what New Athens, this world in outer space, looks like. They know what this new technology does. So when you reference it, uh, you don't have to explain it anymore. And but but up front, you do have to do a lot of world building. And the trick to do that is to do it in such a way that. You're doing it within the plot. You're doing it within dialogue. Mm -hmm. You're doing it as you're keeping the plot moving forward. So that was actually a uh, that was actually um, a, a major uh, learning experience for me as a as a writer of of fiction. How to blend all that together, right? And just general keep the plot moving. Did you find that your nonfiction work helped you with structuring the plot at all? You're you've got some great questions tonight, Michael. I, these are some really, really I try. Great questions. <laughs> I, I, I can tell you've done this before. Um, so I have, uh, I would say it had to have, yes, because the nonfiction was, you know, the work I deal with environmental protection and the, and the concerns that we have uh, on some of the ways we're polluting the planet, what that would be like. 
what what uh, implications that could have socially, what implications that would have uh, in terms of future governments and what decisions might might be made. The nonfiction when it comes to theology certainly, certainly, certainly helped with the plot because um, uh, we have characters who are um, sort of going their own way and sort of leaving the church and coming up with their own faith, which is something that I think is, is uh, relevant to today's world. And, you know, mm-hmm. the consequences that that can cause, um, the confusion by the, in the future world and in the new, new worlds in outer space, religion is actually uh, outlawed, at least publicly. Hmm. It's, it is the, the, the goal of the, of the design engineers and the ruling engineers in the new world and, and the story that I tell, uh, their goal is that we're going to create a better world. We're going to move forward. We're going to leave Earth behind because all, and all of the problems that, that, that plagued Earth, um, we're going to dissect why that was the case and we're going to make sure that that doesn't happen in these new worlds. And one of the things that they blame, of course, is religion. Um, mm-hmm. And then here they are with their first murder in outer space. Um, the dead man turns out to be a Catholic priest that should not have been up there. So then they have to put, um, you know, swallow their pride and reach out to Earth to get the help of a priest who also has experience in um, the military and solving crimes. And that is Father McClellan, the retired Marine, raised atheist, mm-hmm. now a priest who is uh, called to, uh, to the new worlds of outer space to help solve this first murder up there. So there was a lot of nonfiction my non- nonfiction foundation and all that, which is environmental protection, theology, mm-hmm. uh, sociology, those types of things, all played out in the uh, the development of the new world that I was creating and then telling the story after that. And we mentioned Arthur C. Clarke and Isaac Asimov, one of the great pillars of science fiction. Was there any other, any particular novels or particular works that inspired this book to want to write? A Catholic priest in 2088 on New Athens? Not in science fiction, because the science fiction that I read as a young man, which was really was was the foundation for me, uh, mm-hmm. was all you know either anti or non non Catholic. Yeah. But I would say um, one example I will say of an author that does a really wonderful job of doing something that 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 I tried to do here is uh, Orson uh, Scott Card, uh, Speaker for the Dead. Yes, he, uh, it's oh, part of that's... the it's part of the Ender Ender's Game series, mm-hmm. and um, it does stand alone. Speaker for the Dead stands alone, um, but um, it's uh, it's got a you know there's a character in there who's a bishop that uh, take, it takes like well into the future, you know, far on the other side of the galaxy. And when I first started reading it, I had the same I had this you know sinking suspicion. Okay, here we go. He's gonna be he's gonna you know show the bishop in a negative portrayal and the church is going to be negative. Um, and that's not what he did. So, um, so, uh, he, he was a more recent example of someone that I, I think we should all look to is how do you tell stories for, for a wide audience, uh, or for, for, for maybe potentially non-Catholic mm-hmm. audiences where you portray the church in a really truthful, positive way because of what we have uh, to teach the world and what we have to offer the world, the gospel of life that we have to bring to to uh, to the world. So, uh, but the, the, what I read as a young man was not that. Sure. It was it was it was science is going to solve us. Sci- science is going to be 
our salvation. Human reason is going to solve all problems. All we have to do is put aside the uh, the religion of our of our, as Arthur C. Clarke would say, our childhood, childhood and, and his great work, child childhood's end. Mm-hmm. And um, again, what I was trying to do is sort of baptize all of that type of fiction. Ah, I see. And any particular theological works that have inspired this novel at all? Everything written by Benedict the Sixteenth. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so when I when I got my master's degree, um, he, I did my my thesis on on uh, his works, his his early works, and how they impacted him as a as a priest, as a, as a, and then later as a pope. Um, mm. So his pastoral the pastoral implications of some of the work that he did uh, as a young man. Uh, was the, the theme of it, and uh, for anyone who has the um, the time to read that thesis, you'll see a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Or, and if you know Benedict at all, you'll you'll see some of the themes in there about um, about the importance of really uh, of sacrifice, of choosing uh, uh, self sacrificial love over self centered love. You know, a lot of the work that he did. Uh, that inspired me is in, and actually there's one chapter, there's a, there's a, there's one chapter specifically in Apprentice Choice towards the end where McClellan is having a little debate with one of the bad guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it gets into this really kind of a, a, a theological debate. Uh, so he was, I, I would say, now that we're reflecting on this conversation, I would say he was my greatest, Benedict XVI was my greatest influence in writing this book. Mm-hmm. Well, if you have to pick one, he's a good one. He's, yes, he is. <laughs> and so looking back, you have this uh, debut novel. Sounds like you have uh, some sequels to the novel coming up. What's one lesson you've learned from writing a novel that you really wish you could have told yourself before you even started writing? Uh, I would say it is how to write. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just something as simple as that. Uh, and that's where you were. You know, I, I, that the lesson I would say that was a lesson that I had uh, probably about, I, I, I kind of drew a line in the sand with myself and said, all right, I'm listening to experts from now on. So I wrote the first draft and I started uh, and I had it edited, um, uh, basically copy edited and just had, you know, um, that level of mm-hmm. look at it. And I started looking for agents and that type of thing. Um, but then when I get to the point where I wanted to get really serious with it, I said, no, I need to work with, with, with good editors. I need to really up my game. I need to pay attention to the experts and not think that I know everything. Um, and that was really the mirror, the parallel of that was in my faith life where I need to listen to the experts and not think that I know everything. Well, as it goes with faith, it goes with writing as well. So, uh, and in fact, I, I spoke with one author not too long ago that, uh, it, uh, admitted that they were afraid of working with editors because they didn't want the editor to sort of um, change their voice. And my response is, was to that individual and is to any any author out there, any anyone thinking of writing or would mm-hmm. like to go out in that direction, is um, a good editor is going to know your voice before you do and help you find it and help you get to that to that point where um, you don't have to ask for advice anymore. They they will help you grow. So you really need to trust the experts. And I did that with um, the publishing house that I worked with. It's a collaborative publishing house. So um, they allowed me to do certain things, but they all they guided me along in that process. When I worked with the artist who did the cover work, now this is an artist that does books, uh, you know, Star Wars books and does m- many, many, many science fiction books. So I wasn't going to... Uh, I wasn't about to tell him 
how to do the job. (laughs) I told him what I want, but I, but you know, he said at one point he said he appreciated that because he says, you wouldn't believe how many authors want to. And my point was, well, here's the story. He actually read it. Uh, He wanted to do what he, you know, he, he had his ideas. He gave me a few of them. We collaborated a little bit, but I trusted his instinct. And it's the same thing with editors. So the lesson that I learned that I wish I could go back and reclaim that first maybe year and a half of the process of doing this is uh, listen to the experts, pay attention to the experts, follow their advice, and don't be afraid to do that because you're not you're not negating any part of your creative process. You're they're going to help you become that creative voice that you want to be. Very good advice. Humility always works. And as an editor, I endorse everything you just said. <laughs> I forgot that I was talking to an editor there. <laughs> yeah. I wear many hats. Uh, uh, science fiction, can I know, can be all ages, but was there a particular audience you were trying to reach in terms of age or, or anything like that? Um, not entirely, no. Uh, it is and anyone who is um, the age that I was when I was reading science fiction um, and older. So uh, it's, it's really a book for all ages. There mm-hmm. is uh, – and well, I was doing one um, – uh, speaking engagement recently, and uh, a woman who was a librarian, I didn't know at the time, in the audience at the, during the Q&A, she asked me, are there any swears in the book? And I said, well, the, the characters, there's a, there's a couple of flashback scenes where the main character is recounting and, uh, his experiences in a major battle and, and, and when he was in the Marines. So there, there's a couple of words in there that are not terrible words, but they're not, you know, they're not, not swears. Uh, mm-hmm. so, um, other than that, there's, it's not sexually graphic. It's just, I try to keep it on a higher, high enough level and a, and a, and a sound enough level that anyone could read it from the, from the teens all the way on up. That's awesome. So perfect gift to close this out. What was for you the most surprisingly delightful thing that you learned while writing this book? That I can write a book. Isn't that always the case? It was, it was <laughs> actually a, uh, it was Manuscript went off to that editor, the the the, the uh, editor that I've been I've been speaking about, who mm-hmm. is the, the very you know professional working at major publishing houses, and up to that point, you know, I, in my head I said I wrote a book, but and really all I saw was a word document, and when I got the um, when he mailed me back the the, the his the, the file with his comments and edits and uh, like a three or a four page letter. Most of which was had high praise. It was then that I realized I didn't write a series of words in a word file. I wrote mm-hmm. a novel, and that gave me a lot of confidence. So now I I'm going into the second one uh, with with that confidence. So you do need to you do need to have self confidence. You need to trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know I've certainly um, put this in the hands of God because it was like. Okay, you want me to, I have a feeling this is what you want me to do. He certainly opened door after door after door and uh, really helped make it happen. Uh, but at some point, you also need to hear from uh, the experts, like as we were just talking about, you need to hear from the experts to really mm-hmm. kind of give you that, that sense of, uh, I can do this and I can do it again and I can do it better next time I do it. And, and, it's, and, it's, and, it's, and it's that experience that you, you, re- um, you feel every time you get a, a great review, whether it's a, a professional review 
or from a trade magazine or whether it's uh, another five-star review on Amazon, which I'm really happy to say. I think I've I think we're at 11 consecutive five-star reviews, the past reviews that came in. So it's doing very well. Lovely. Um, so, yeah, and, and that helps. And you, you mentioned it. I mean, it helps me with the sense that um, if, if I can make this book something that, as you said, is, is a good gift. If, it's, if there's someone who is struggling with a, a child or a, or a family member or a friend that's strayed away from the church, maybe this is the way, maybe giving them this and helping them experience, uh, helping that individual experience the church from an outsider's perspective from through a science fiction novel, maybe a way that they can uh, have any some resolution to those concerns. So I'm, I'm hoping that that's a big part of what this what this project does. That's wonderful to hear. And so to close us out, if anyone wants to pick up a printer's choice or learn more about you, where can they find it? So they can actually just go to apprenticechoice.com mm -hmm. is the website for the book, apprenticechoice.com. Uh, but they can go to Amazon or they can go to the Barnes and Noble website. Uh, it is in about, it's in a number of libraries throughout the, the country as well. Uh, but it is absolutely on Amazon and Kindle and hard and uh, softback. And it is uh, also online at Barnes and Noble. I know a lot of the Barnes and Nobles where I am here in the New England area have it, but um, certainly online is always a great way to go. Perfect. Well, Bill, thank you so much for coming on here, introducing us to not just your novel, which I'm really excited to finally dive into, but uh, also just telling us about the experience of writing a novel. I think many of our listeners will learn a lot from this as they will learn a lot, hopefully, from the series. So once again, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Michael. God bless. Once again, that was W.L. Patnode, or Bill, as I kept calling him throughout this interview. <laughs> he has written a fantastic debut novel. I hope you all learned a lot from him, especially, I'm trying to write my first novel too. It's hard. It's really hard work. But if you feel calling to it and you have a great story to tell, I hope this interview was helpful, but more than anything, I hope it was inspiring because uh, we need some good, good Catholic fiction out there. I don't want to put that on your shoulders, but I hope a few of you will take it on. And to that end, if you want to hear from any other artist, any other field, if you're thinking you really like hearing these and hearing how the creative process from a Catholic viewpoint starts to work itself out, let me know. We have a lot of artists I'd love to talk to. You can email me, editor at catholicstage.com. Leave a comment anywhere on social media. We're going to see that. I don't always get to respond, I'm sorry to say, but we do see it. Ditto with the emails, editor at catholicexchange.com. And also, leave us a review if you enjoyed this or any of our other episodes. You can also recommend us to friends, subscribe on wherever you listen to podcasts. Like I said at the beginning, we're going to be returning to the book interviews just in time for Lent around the 1st of February, so please stay tuned to CatholicExchange.com. We have a lot of great shows. We'll talk about books. We're going to give you some more information to really dive deep into Lent. And with that, I want to thank you all very much for joining us, for supporting us any way you can. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, anywhere you want to follow us. You can find us anywhere you like to listen to podcasts. We're on all the service. And if there's anything I can do for you, you know how to find me. Once again, my name is Michael. Thank you for joining us here on the Catholic Exchange Podcast. Go to catholicexchange.com and I'll have all the available links up there for you, as well as in our show notes. Catholic Exchange is a production of Sophia Institute Press. 
It is produced by me, Michael Litchens, and made available through the good work of Charlie McKinney and Tom Allen. If you'd like to support us, go to CatholicExchange.com. You can find the donate button or just share us with a friend. Thank you, all of you, for taking the time to listen to us. God love you, and I hope you have a fantastic week.